Hey, Clipped listeners, this podcast is brought to you by Riverside, your online platform for recording high-quality video and audio podcasts from anywhere in the world. If you want to give Riverside a try, head on over to riverside.fm and enter promo code CLIPPED, that's C-L-I-P-P-E-D, for 20% off any individual plan. That's riverside.fm and enter CLIPPED for 20% off. Let's do it. What up, potty people? And welcome back to Clipped. I'm Eric, your host, and Clipped delivers top-notch podcast production tips, resources, industry insights, and education to make your podcasting life easier. My mission is to help you start, grow, and monetize your show. And thank you, everybody, for tuning back in for another episode. The show is growing. We're getting good feedback, and I'm excited that you're excited. So thank you. And today I've got an awesome episode for you. I've actually got one of my podcasting friends on the show, Jay Yao. Jay and I actually met in a weekly podcast mastermind that we're a part of. And quickly we realized that we both have similar stories regarding how our audio careers began. Jay is an accomplished audio engineer and producer who came to the US from Malaysia. He's worked in acclaimed studios across New York City, and now he's the producer of the James Altucher Show, a top-rated podcast. But it didn't always start that way. In this episode, we get into Jay's background and the hard work that he had to put in to get to where he is now. He was a studio intern initially, cleaning bathrooms and refilling coffee, and he worked his way up, and he eventually persevered and got the opportunity to work on several projects with people like DJ Khaled, Rick Ross, Wyclef Jean, Dashboard Confessional, and other prominent artists. In addition, he's also done work for the streaming company Tidal, but eventually he pivoted to podcast and you'll hear how all that transition went. Um, and he's now the producer of the James Altucher Show. And through that show, Jay's gotten to be a part of podcasts featuring Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, and Sarah Blakely. But he's got an impressive resume, to say the least, and a story that highlights his passion for audio, his ability to pivot when things aren't working out, and really just his like tenacity to stick with things and keep going. So I'm pumped for you guys to hear this one. This is my podcasting buddy, James Yao, and let's give it a go. Well, Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad we got to connect through our mastermind that we do every Friday. I think it's, it's been great getting to know you and getting to know some of the people in our community. But just to set the tone a little bit, to give everyone a little background about who you are. Um, so where are you originally from? I'm originally from Malaysia. So do you know where Malaysia is? I always ask this. <sighs> it's like near Singapore, I want to say, like south oh, yeah. of Singapore. Something like that? Uh, North of Singapore. So it's between Singapore and Thailand. Yeah, so I'm from Malaysia. I've been in Malaysia for for my whole life. And I just came to the States, I think, 12 years or 13 years ago. Okay, and from what I know about you, you landed in New York or you eventually made your way to New York? I actually went to Florida first. And then I have a whole culture shock in terms of I just I just learned about Florida white men. It's a thing when I yeah. when I was in Florida, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it's crazy. That was the year I don't know if you remember. That was the year when the bath salt incident in Miami happened. The bath salts. I think I remember hearing stories about that on the radio or the news or something. 
Yeah, I think it's 2011, 2012, like the guy just had on ball, so it's crazy and go around and bite people's face off on the highway. Biting people, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, what? How is that happening? Like, what is that? So that was my <laughs> first introduction to Florida man. That's that's a great introduction to Florida. I I'm, I actually love Florida. I love Miami. I have, I have a close friend there. Okay, so then where did you learn audio? Did were you already doing some of that in Malaysia? I know you went to Full Sail. Was that there or here in the U.S.? Yeah. So in Malaysia, I went to um, I went to School of Audio Engineering (SAE) in Malaysia. I oh, went SAE, there first. That's what it is. Yep, but. In my first semester, I'm like, hey, you know, I felt like I shouldn't just be going to school. I should be interning while going to school at the same time. I reach out to my, you know, I used to play guitar. I used to take guitar lessons. I, used, I reach out to my guitar instructor like, hey, do you know anyone work in the industry? You know, you're teaching guitar. I assume you're connected. So he connected me to his brother that run a studio in Malaysia that I was 18 then. So I started interning and then go to school at the same time, which is great because all we do, a lot of stuff is hands-on. Yeah, you you know about theory, but the thing, but the thing is theory only, you know, bring you so far. You know, you can only make it so far with theory. So it's all about hands-on and also muscle memory. The more you do, the more you remember. And then, you know, and and, and then I started dating a girl and then she gave me an ultimatum. So she's going to I think Ohio for school. And then she gave me an ultimatum. She's like, if you don't go to uh, US, we're going to break up. So I have to find a way to go to US. Oh no. So, <laughs> isn't that a great story? You know, I know, I did it out of love. Uh, and then, um, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm looking around. I'm like, you know, there was Berkeley. It's crazy expensive. Oh, that it's was, hard to get into. Yeah. I guess, yeah. And then there was Ithaca. Uh, there was a school in Ithaca, but I can't remember what school is called, uh, what is it called. And then there was a guitar institute and then there was a school in Minnesota. And then eventually I landed on Full Sail because there was an alumni from Full Sail, he's Malaysian as well. Uh, I think his name is Phil. Phil Tan, uh, he's, I believe, is a Grammy winner and he's mm. Malaysian. I'm like, okay, he went to this school, it must be great. So I, that's why I went to Florida. And then once I get to Florida, I broke up with my girl, my then girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got you to where you needed to be, I guess, right? I yeah, I just need that stepping stepping stone, right? I just need the motivations. It's so funny, yeah, like the little things in life that uh, like get us to where we are. And at the time, it, it you know it might be confusing, or you know you might have like thoughts about it. But then you look back and you're like, oh well, if that never happened, I wouldn't be here now. So the time you got to Florida, you already had some experience. Right? Like you already I do. I do. Yeah. I think I graduated from SAE and then by the time I went to full sale, I pretty much know all the basic. So I mm -hmm. the thing is like you can't really transfer credit because between Malaysia and US depends on the school. Full sale is not a conversa uh uh traditional accredited. We have yeah. yeah, and also we have class from nine PM to five AM. That's just how full sale is, and then we only take a year to finish the school. So I already, I already know a lot of the basic. And then, you know, uh, you know, coming from Malaysia, you know, we are pretty good at math. 
pretty good at math. So <laughs> I just have to go there and test out all the math. So I don't have to take a lot of classes, but uh, all the engineer, uh, audio engineering recording arts classes I still have to take. I learn more about compressions, more about gears, more I get to play with like a higher end gears because I'm in full sale. And then also networking. You know, I, I met so many people. I learned so many more techniques in, in, in full sale. Yeah, I think the hands-on thing is key, like you were saying, because you can read all about it, but then, yeah, to actually get your hands on the gear and the muscle memory you mentioned, which is also huge, especially for like editing and chopping and, and getting quick with the hotkeys, uh, that, that's key. So did you graduate valedictorian? Did I read that right? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Where do you read it? I feel like I, uh, I don't know if I put it anyone. Oh, LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I graduated. And the funniest thing is, so... I might. I think I has three point nine eight CGPA. Mm -hmm. The one subject I didn't get an A is A like like A plus or whatever is English. It's ninety four point three, and the instruction instructor doesn't want to bump me up. And the funniest thing is I didn't know what valedictorian is, and then I was just in the graduation hall. They're like, I'm like I got my, all my award. I'm like okay. It's time to bounce. I'm like, I'm hungry. And then they're like, very Victorian. Jay Yao. I'm like, what? Am I getting into trouble or whatever? And I'm like, I went up there and then I shake hands. I came down and asked my sister, oh, what is this? She's like, oh, you got a very Victorian. That's great. I'm like, uh, what does that mean? And then she's like, you're very Victorian and you have no idea what does that mean? I'm like, yeah. Then she has to explain to me like, oh, yeah, the best person in class or whatever. I'm like, that's impressive, man. The top of your class, like, and you, the funny thing is you didn't even know you were just <laughs> crushing it. Like you were just yeah. doing, just doing the best that you could and, and reaching the top like that. Okay. So yeah, you graduate, you're crushing it. And the goal still, and we'll get into your podcasting journey, but at this point it's all music focused, right? Like you want to be yeah. mix engineer, recording engineer for, for artists, right? Yeah. My goal was to win a Grammy to win mm -hmm. a Grammy one day, I'm like, in five years, I'm going to win a Grammy. And now it seems like further and further away because I'm in podcasting now. <laughs> Eventually, and I might be jumping ahead a little, but just to kind of, you know, to, to go through this, you you land in New York, you intern at like a, a more or less like a famous New York studio, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was called Avatar Studio. And we have some, uh, we can relate to this because I was never an intern, but I was the runner, basically, they make it seem like you're going to get experience like on the board, like working, but really you just go run errands for like the artist. Like if the artist, he's booked a, the session all day, he wants lunch, you go get lunch. When the evening comes, they want alcohol, you go get the alcohol and you, you basically just run around town for them. Yeah. So, and it's very specific too. Like if they want a specific brand of alcohol <laughs> yeah. that you can only get it a thousand blocks away, you have to travel a thousand blocks, get it and get back in time before, you know, the session start, which is crazy. And like you say, it, the, you, you didn't get experience because uh, in the studio, Avatar Studio, this is, so Avatar Studio got sold to Berkeley. It's called Power Station. Berkeley School of Music? Uh, at Berkeley now. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. They didn't get sold to Berkeley, sorry. They sold to some patron and the patron of Berkeley is like, hey, you can use this facility mm. for your school. So what happened is uh, Avatar then, uh, as you know, so this is in 2013, 2014. So I would say pre-2016, 
a lot of the studio are very traditional. They yes. have a hierarchy. You have a you have an intern, right? And then you have general, uh, and then you have a G. I think they call GM, a uh, general manager, and then you have assistant engineer, and then you have engineer, and then you have head engineer. So intern, you do the most basic stuff. You run errand, you run everything. You have to get into the studio at 8 a.m. Start go floor by floor, clean everything, clean the toilet. Make coffee. When you clean the toilet, when you refill the soap bottle, it has to fit a certain criteria. Like you cannot see the bubble on there. And then general manager will go around and check, make sure you do your thing right. And then this goes for years. Um, like I, I from what I heard, it's like from general general manager to assistant engineer, it could take four to five years. And you know you might not get any experience during the time. Yeah. You, yeah, they kind of sell it to you like like the engineers will take you under their wing and, and kind of show you things. But in my experience, that didn't happen or maybe I needed to like stay after hours and try to do that. But same thing. And I we had a joke about this a couple of weeks ago. But in, in the studio I worked at, coffee was a big thing. As soon as the coffee pot is half gone, you refill, you dump it out, you waste it, refill it because it's always got to look full and it's always got to be hot. Yeah, and also like, let's say if you make coffee eight in the morning, by twelve o'clock you have to check. If, even like in this the in my avatar studio back then, well, even though when it's like full full, you still have to toss it out mm -hmm. and then make a brand new one. But on that note, I think a couple weeks in, I got fired. <laughs> so there are a couple things I think why I got fired. It might or might not be true. One thing I think I was way too eager and way too happy. Mm. So when I went to that studio, everyone looks like a zombie. Every like that, I think that's only one and one general manager or assistant engineer actually treat me pretty well. Other than that, everyone's like miserable. Everyone's like not enough sleep. Everyone's like a zombie and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, let's start the day. Let's do it. And then I make jokes, uh, and I don't think they like that very much. And then secondly. I don't think the secretary liked me as much. So what happened is, like a runner, right? We have to go run it to get go get groceries. So we get this, the the money, and then we go get groceries. We take the change, we get back with, and the receipt. We go back to secretary, like, hey, this is what we. There's a change and this amount. So she was on the phone with someone. I don't know what she's on the phone for. So she made a mistake on the receipt, and then a couple moments later, she called me down, like, okay. You are, we are missing a ten dollars. I'm like, what do you mean by missing a ten dollars? The whole is everything is there. I didn't take anything. So he reported it, and then I went back home. I can't sleep. I couldn't sleep. So I went back to the studio, and I go back to the receipt again. I look it up. I look at like how she labeled it, and then she definitely made a mistake. I confronted her like, hey, I just want to let you know that didn't happen. You made a mistake. So you know, I just wanted to let you know. And she's like, okay. Sure, fine. And then the next day, I was in a, uh, I wasn't in, but there was a Bill Cosby sessions, mm. and then I was I was changing the water tower, and I accidentally spill it because it's heavy. Oh, right? those are so the heavy. It's heavy. Yeah, and I wasn't strong, and that wasn't like that. Was, like that was not like automatic water tower back then. Like you have to like manually change it. So I spill it right, and then I think a week or two weeks later. The one of the 
top guy called me in like, hey, I don't think you learned anything here. We have to let you go. I'm like, I'm interning. I'm running errands. Like, what am I supposed to learn? And then, but I did tell him like, hey, just just a heads up two weeks ago when they say like, I lost money. The money was actually there. I just want to make sure you know that. And then he looked at me confused like, what? Okay, okay. And then, yeah, that's it. And then I got let go. Damn, man, that's rough. But even though it sucks, yeah, like cleaning and the coffee, because I did some of that stuff too. But in a way, I hated it. And even now, I hate that I had to do that. But I it, somehow, I think it helped me build some kind of like work ethic or... Because in this business, I feel like, especially as an engineer, you got to get used to like taking a lot of shit kind of, you know, and you have to stay calm yep. and not take it too personal. Especially back then, like you said, because a lot of the studios were very traditional. I wonder if that's changed now. I, I'm sure it has a little bit. But with podcasting, I've found that it's it's always been like a positive environment. So how did you eventually see like an opportunity in like voiceover? Was it that music, it's just tough. Music's tough. It's tough to make it. And it, I do find, maybe in New York, because I'm in LA, it could be the same, that there's more work in like post-production film, TV type of thing where with music, sure, there's work, but I think it takes a lot longer to get to the level where you're getting big clients. What Was it that or did it just kind of happen or was it strategic? It's kind of happened in the sense that like I, even in Malaysia, I was really quick in voiceover. Mm. So in Malaysia, I used to use Cubase. So back then, like I can record and then in, this is this is Cubase too. This is Cubase too. So this is 20, uh, 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. So I would record, I look at the script and then I can punch in, punch out really quickly and then I start editing while it's recording the previous, uh, you know, while it's recording and then I can start, I will start, I, I will already start editing the previous waveform, by the time they're done recording, I will have the script 80% done. So I've been always been doing voiceover. I don't know if I still have the skill now, but I used to be able to look at the waveform. I'm like, I, I know exactly this is the word sure. on the script. Yeah. So, and then I went to this studio um, after I got late, uh, got fired from Avatar Studio. I went to Sweet Sound Studio. It's a great studio. That's where I met my mentor, Ryan Kelly, and a bunch of other friends, Josh Junta, who recently just won a Grammy and had a baby. So like, the studio was really new. And mm -hmm. then they are all like sort of like engineer from other studio that doesn't really know what's going on. So I basically reorganized the whole studio in a sense that we need input lists. We need this, we need that. And then eventually I became an engineer and then because I told them like, hey, voiceover is easy. I can do voiceover very easily, very quick for you guys. So they put me on most of the voiceover stuff. And also, somehow people charge more for voiceover. Yeah. TV and film rates are a lot. I think the studio I was at was like 250 or 250 an hour, maybe even 300. Oh, I forget. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's not cheap. And then I started doing voiceover and then I started doing uh, going into uh, film production too. No, like all the whole film production about dubbing. So I work with Benedict Cumberbatch and Mike Myers. They are both like very professional, very great. Um, and then a couple other film as well. So then that's how I got into like voiceover, which is amazing. Dude, I love that. Working with some big names there too. It's funny. I feel like the big, big names are always more polite and more chill than like yeah. maybe a successful actor. 
but then a really successful actor, they, they treat you more with respect. And it, it's interesting how that works. It is. I remember when Benedict Cumberbatch supposed to come to our studio, he was an hour late because the driver drove, drove to the wrong locations. And in New York City, Manhattan, traffic sucks, nightmare. right? So yeah, nightmare. So we waited for an hour. He came in. The first thing he said, like, all right, sorry, guys, I'm late. Where's the script? We can start right now. I'm like, this is great. And also, like, that was the year I was applying for my first time visa. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in the studio. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm applying for my visa. I'm, you know, like, just wondering if you could, like, help me out a little bit, you know, like, write something. And then he's, and then the producer came in and was like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, we can talk about it later. The session ended an hour later. And he came out and he's like, so where do I sign? I'm like, sign, sign, sign what? He's like, oh, for your visa. I'm like, you remember? And then we took a picture. And that's it. That's fucking awesome. How cool is that? What a cool story. Dude. I know. He's great. I love Benny to come about you. Dude, he's super talented. I've seen like videos of him doing like voice uh, voice work for like animation. Um, yeah, he's he's incredible. He was he was even in Hobbit, right? He's the dragon. I, the dragon. That's the video I saw. Yeah, he he uh doing the voice and then doing the um where they put you in like the suit and you do the movements. Yeah, it's motion some, capture. Yeah, yeah, motion capture. And it dude, it was like I was like transported to another world. I know. Okay, dude. So so the music thing, you're slowly transitioning out of that. And I'm just going through your timeline, which it's actually a very similar story to me. Let's talk about podcasting a little bit. Like the voiceover kind of lends itself to podcasting in a way because you're editing like a dialogue track, a little bit similar, not exactly the same, but kind of in that world. It's also a little bit of a relief for music because it's a little bit easier, to be honest. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I, <laughs> I, I still do music. I think I still do music until lockdown happened. Oh. Uh, but not a lot. Not a okay. lot. I, yeah, okay. not a lot. Like one, like only my my favorite client and my regular client. I only do music for them because like, you know, he, uh, one of the artists that I work with, her name is Samia. She is great. I think now she's up and coming now. I I can easily see she, she win Grammy at some point. But, but yeah, so... I gotta say, like, when I get into podcasting, I made a ton of mistakes. Uh, it's like, I'm not like, I, yeah, because it's not like I know podcasts right away, know the right mic, know whatever. So one day in, I believe in 2017 or 2016, James Altucher and Stephen Dubner um, from Freakonomics came, on, came in the studio because James, at that time, going through a phase where he will live from, he will stay in Airbnb to Airbnb. So he didn't rent, he didn't do anything. He only go from Airbnb to Airbnb. And just so happened, his Airbnb is right around the corner from my studio. So they found a studio, they came mm -hmm. in, then I started recording the, I was assistant first for the first sessions. And then they came in the second sessions, they are like, okay, now we need an engineer because the engineer they came with then, was actually a freelance engineer. He, so he has a full-time job. He can't foot, do anything full-time. So I was put in the session. I'm like, podcasting, voice, how hard is it? I'm just going to put up two U87, go through a 1073, make it sound <laughs> amazing. Saturations, just like music, right? And then I recorded the first episodes. I'm like, this sucks. Uh -oh. This sounds so dirty. Like, you know, like you can There's hear. Bleed probably yeah, the between bleed everything. between everything. <laughs> they are wearing bling bling. So like every time they move the shirt, you will get picked up. And then this, the room is not a big room. There's, they're like, yeah, we have like table. I'm like, this 
suck. This freaking sucks. Why does this sound so bad? U87, everyone know it's a great microphone, re- legendary microphone. Why does this suck? Right, classic. Classic. Only like a couple session, and then I'm like, okay, maybe the maybe it's a microphone. I'm gonna use way better microphone. Were they like, this sounds bad? No, did, they, did, they don't know. They so it's know all in my mind. It, they, they, they didn't <laughs> okay. complain about anything, but it's all in my mind because I always chasing that perfect sound. As an engineer, right? You know, yeah. like I, I, every session, even though it's perfect in clients' eyes, I'm like, what can I do better? Why does it sound so weird? This sucks. So, and then I'm like, it must be the microphone. It must be my, my microphone. And then I'm like, also voiceover, maybe I need it to be cleaner. I'm like, okay, we have a more expensive microphone, $10,000 microphone, M149. But put it up there. And then I'm like, and then I started recording. I think I went into a API preamp. And then also I was trying out some Neve preamp too. Neve preamp sounds amazing. It sounds fat. It gives you that fat. 1073? No, 1073. It was a 58. It was a new... It was a new Neve, so it wasn't like the classic Neve. Okay. So it was, so it wasn't 1073. Okay. Uh, that it was like a module on the 5088 console. It sounds great. It sounds very warm, but I'm like, why is this? Are these going into like the SSL console and then into Pro Tools? No. So it's from that to Pro Tools. Okay. I learned. I learned in a hot way. Never go through like a board because it's just gonna make it sounds more saturated. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then back then we have uh, we have the uh, Neve fifty eighty eight board, which is which is amazing. Green Day oh, love yeah, that board. Neve board. Yeah, Neve board. Like interesting, okay. sounding right, but it breaks all the time because you know what Neves is famous for? Their knobs coming off every two seconds. <laughs> and there's pr- there's probably only a handful of people in the U.S. that like repair those things too. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's yeah, not a lot charge- of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they charge a buttload of money to prepare <laughs> to to repair it. I'm like the the knobs come off every two seconds. It's and it made the room so hot because the preamp everything produced heat, right? So the whole mm-hmm. room is constantly hot, even though we have great we have AC. <laughs> so I'm like, this sounds great, sounds amazing, but it still still sounds very noisy every time they move. I can see every movement every time they you know rub their hand. I can hear that. I'm like. This sucks. And then, you know, I started researching, was talking to people, and then I found out, okay, we have, we don't have an RE20. We only have one RE20, but recording podcasting, I always want a symmetrical microphone. I want the same microphone for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. But we have two SM7. I'm just going to try two SM7. And then I try to, no, I tried the M241 first. So apparently, uh, Sennheiser M two forty one was like the great traditional classic broadcasting microphone. But when they use it, I'm like, this sounds bad. It just sounds very midi, no low end. And then try SM seven. I'm like, this sounds amazing. So th- from that point on, I started using SM seven without the club lifter first. And then I working for my, and then I start working for my friend Rosan. For uh, he has a studio in Brooklyn. Uh, now he's back in Malaysia. And he told me about Cloudlifter. I'm like, ooh, what is this? This is great. He's like, yeah, Cloudlifter, if you use it with like, you know, ribbon microphone or SM7, it sounds amazing. So I got my hand, I borrow one of them and I put it and then use it for podcasting. And I'm like, this blew my mind. So this is going to be my setup now. SM7B, Cloudlifter, and any other preamp that I can find. I love that. I love the trial and error and uh, 
that, yeah, that became like the go-to mic, which of course we know a ton of people use that mic now. So, so at what point did James like bring you on the show full time? Had you done a lot of other podcasts like after that or did, did, uh, like you became his go-to guy, right? Yeah. So what happened is, Robert, a little bit. I work with, uh, Miss Info. Uh, her name is Minya. Miss Info was a celebrity interviewer in the hip hop industry. So she is like well connected. She is, she knows ton of people with, uh, with along with Angie Martinez, so I worked with her on a project by TuneIn Radio. TuneIn Radio is also another radio, been around for forever. I think they started around the same time as SiriusXM. I could be wrong, but they didn't get as big as SiriusXM. So I worked on with Miss Info on TuneIn Radio. What she do is, it's a recorded voice for playlist so every time a song ends she will like okay now this song is ending blah 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 that song's coming on blah 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 so it's like a program radio show Apple has some like yeah beat uh, like beats radio and there's like DJs but it's really it's like all pre-done and then they just talk oh and now this song is so and so and they'll tell like a little story or whatever yep yep so that so I worked with her on that for a year or two uh, you know and then we grow like closer and I'm like this is great and then she brought me on for one of her first podcasts with Angie Martinez. So Angie Martinez worked for, uh, I don't remember where she works, but she is also like a very famous interviewer for hip hop in hip hop industry. She brought me on to work on a project for Tidal. Tidal is a streaming platform like Spotify and Apple, but sounds way better. And also, you know, owned by Jay-Z and now by Jack Dorsey. Uh, oh, and Square. Yep. So they brought me on for Tidal and I, you know, I get, you know, I work with Tidal and then they brought me on for a couple other shows for Rough Draft where I recorded this, you'll, be, you'll find this funny, which I record, <laughs> where I recorded. Do you remember the band Thursday? Thursday? Yeah, like the emo band? Yeah, yeah. like the Screamo? Yeah, the emo band. So I, I, I was big into yeah. th- to be honest. We don't have to Wait, get into really? all that, but my my high school was all like all that kind of music. Thursday, the Get Up Kids, Alkaline Trio. It was that era, you know? Holy shit. Yeah. So I woke, so the first episode of Rough Draft was, was with Thurs Druff from Jeff. I think Jeff is his name from Jeff. Thursday. His name's Jeff. Yep. Yeah. He's so the whole premise is record the. F- they record and talk about the f- their first ever written song. That's why it's called Rough Draft. Their first ever written song. So it's funny. So I like that. Jeff from from uh, Thursday, and then uh, Chris from Dashboard Confessional. I love, love Dashboard. Yeah, at the time, <laughs> you know, dude, Dashboard Confessional. Yeah, was huge. It was, I mean, like, huge at the time. I know. I don't know if they're still around now, but uh, yeah, he's still around. He still tours, dude. Really? He still he oh, still man, tours. Yeah. His new anyway, but he yeah he's still around. Okay, yeah, so Dashboard Confessional and then a couple of other bands like Kimbra and then uh, something Train, I can't remember, something Train. Uh, Asylum, something Asylum? Was it something Oh, Soul Asylum. Asylum. So Asylum, yeah, so Asylum. We recorded that at the new version of Avatar because I'm like, oh, look at me, look at me. I'm big timer now. I bring my client to you now. And then apparently so Asylum recorded a couple of records in Avatar Studio. But when I went back, it it was already power station. So I bring him in, and then the the manager came down and greet us. I'm like, "This is so asylum." He's like, "Oh shit, so asylum." And then so asylum sat in like 
Studio A where he recorded his band back then. And he's like, yeah, this brings back memory. I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. So yeah, unfortunately the show got shut down like a couple episodes in because they're like, okay, it doesn't seem like this make money. It doesn't seem like get this get any viewer. Mm. And then I went on and recorded other couple uh, show for title. One of them is Rap Radar Podcast, which is huge about rap. So that I recorded Wale. I recorded Janelle Monet. Wow, dude. Young Guru, like all the big hip-hop artists, Rick Ross. Young Guru is a Jay-Z's engineer. Yeah. Engineer. And he is great. He's so smart. And Knife Wonder. I actually mixed the episode with Snoop Dogg. They recorded in Snoop Dogg place. And then they, they try to put all, the, all of them together themselves. But they are like, this is so weird because I think the, en- the recording engineer recorded stuff too low or they're too far from the microphone. So they bring it to me. I remix it and make it better and then send it back to them. So yeah, Snoop Dogg. Uh, yeah, and uh, Rick Ross, DJ Khaled for Red Radar as well. Uh, so by the time lockdown happened, when they reach out to me is when they have audio issues where they're like, oh, this microphone wasn't picked up. Uh, something happened. Can you do something about it? I'm like, Sure, I will make it sound better. And then, you know, eventually they found their own production team and then their, their production did, team did an amazing job. So they didn't really reach out to me anymore, only once in a while. And then, you know, on that note, Tidal also have another show called Inside My DNA. And I recorded, I can't remember what's her name, but also one of the person that I recorded that I really like is Leah Salonga. So Leah Salonga is the voice for, was it? Not Little Mermaid, uh, Jasmine from Aladdin. Yeah, so she done a ton of musicals. She's great. She's really down to earth. She's Filipino. John Baldwin or Jay Baldwin, another big Hispanic uh, artist. Yeah, so recorded that too. Wyclef John, also recorded Wyclef John. That was a location recording, so I was logging around my preamp or my audio interface, a whole rack, and then bring it in and then set up everything. And then, you know, and I worked with James. We recorded, you know, Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Sarah Blakely, Tara Banks, and people like that. Wow. Yeah. Dude, it is fun. That's, yeah. that's amazing. So just being a part of that studio and by chance, like he, James comes in to record like a podcast one day and you learned and then that somehow led you to like this, these shows that were on title, um, just getting more and more experience, getting comfortable working with like big name talent in the room. And that sounds like a great time. And that that's really impressive. How James brought me on, uh, you know, full time is the studio is closing, right? And then I'm like, shit, I'm going to lose all this client. I'm not going to have any job. And then I'm like, all right, this is what I learned from the podcast because the good thing about working for podcast is you also learn from the host and from the guests, right? So I'm like, okay. I reach out to him like, hey, the studio is closing. I know you'll jump from studio to studio. I know a ton of studio in New York City. Let me handle all the booking. Let me handle all the studio booking. Just tell me time and where, uh, tell me time and who, and I will find a place for you to record. And then they're like, yeah, sure. So I jump on board and then I started, you know, become the engineer and then, you know, Lockdown happened and I just do mostly James stuff and it eventually became the producer. How big is the team? What's like your typical workflow like? It used to be a lot bigger uh, pre-lockdown. It was, even pre-lockdown we have, it was like a five people team. Producer would book the people and then I would book the studio. We go in there, we record 
and then the producer will. It's so this is the reason why it's always good to have a producer and an engineer because the producer can entertain the guest, right? When they talk about something, and then I would just do my things. The guests don't have to bother me. I don't, you know, I don't have to. But I can focus on the session. I can focus on recording. I can focus on like mixing stuff. And if they need anything, I, I can point it to producer, and then they can be like the buffer, right? And then if anything goes wrong, I have to troubleshoot anything. Producer will be the buffer to talk to the client, talk to the guest, and talk to the host, so that you know they won't feel the. Because when when stuff goes wrong in the studio, it's very stressful, and you do want to transfer the stress to the guest and the host. That's why it's good to have a producer. And then you know lockdown happened. We don't. We no longer need producer anymore. Because you know, the producer exp- expensive. It is down to two of us, uh, down to me and our post production engineer. The reason why we need a post production engineer is we release three a week. I would spend most of the time recording and looking for guests and social media and stuff like that, and I would just send it over to him to mix. So like, I don't have to think about the mixing part. He can think about the mixing part. So everything is remote. So we record on sorry Riverside. We record on Squadcast. And then I would download the audio file. I would send the audio file to the post production engineer. He would do his thing, and I would download the video file. I put it in transcript, and I would do a video version of the episode, and then put it out on YouTube, social media, especially in Twitter. Have you tried posting video on Twitter? No, you know I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I think if you are, there's a lot of opportunity there. That's one episode we just put it out. You just get like forty thousand view at this point. I'm like, where does all this view comes from? We don't know. So like, yeah, I think I think video on Twitter's for podcasts going to be something in the future. Yeah, I think from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but I think Elon lengthened the amount of time. Like you could upload a yeah. longer video now. Is that my understanding? Yes. So if you are the blue checkmark subscriber, which I am. Yeah, capitalism, right? Uh, <laughs> 1080p, you can upload up to two hours. And then if you upload 720p, I think you can upload up to three or four hours. Yeah, so basically a full episode can be on, on, on Twitter. Or X now. Yeah. Who handles uh, the, the ad sales? Are you guys part of a network? We partner with SiriusXM. We, we are not under their network per se, but we partner with them selling all our ad sales. It's all dynamically inserted? Dynamically inserted. He will read the ads, but I will like just hop in for like some funny moment. So Rena, my friend, she has a podcast called Better Call Daddy. So we did ad for Namecheap. Basically just me like, Rena, I have issue with my internet. Like, what should I do? I have business. She's like, what's your business? I'm like, Rena Chick. So we, we just jumping on the Rena Chick idea to do a campaign from Namecheap. And that was pretty fun. And they loved it. They're like, this is so organic and so much fun. With podcast ads now, they're so stale. So something like that could be cool. And how often do people just like skip the ads, right? So like you want to create an ad that people will want to listen and stay. Like if you make it fun and entertaining, they're like, okay, this is this sounds like part of the podcast. You know, then they would like tune in and stay to engage with the ads. Couple more questions as we're rounding home here. The first one is video versus audio. And I know you don't have to choose one or the other. What are your thoughts on video? Do people need it? Do they not need it? What do you think? Okay, I think it's good to have if you have the bandwidth. I was talking to 
I just saw like Squadcast or Squadcast release like, hey, we're recording 4K now. So I just make a thread on Twitter like, do you actually need 4K? I was just researching it. So basically less than 50% of the US household has access to fiber optic. So basically if your upload isn't up to between 30 megabits per second to 60 megabits per second, if you're doing 4K for remote recording, you're going to suffer, right? And if you don't have a powerful computer, you try to edit 4K, you're going to suffer. You're gonna, it's going to take you forever. The files are huge They're too. Huge. You got to spend so huge. much money on hard drives, <laughs> on internet, on bandwidth, and you render a two-hour podcast. It's going to take you like three to four hours if you have a slow computer. If you have a powerful computer, yeah, sure, go for it. Knock yourself out. But my stand is, it's good to have. Don't kill yourself over it. On James Audrey's show, we always record audio and video, but we, I always choose because we only release the video version of it once a week because video takes a lot longer, right? Even though with Descript and stuff like that. So in Descript, I'm editing for Codidex, right? I will pull the video in there and then I will have the master file. And then underneath, I will have two compositions. I will have, let's say, episode four. I will have episode four video version and I have episode four audio version. The reason why I do that is, especially for green podcaster and green guests, they have a lot of filler words. They have a lot of pauses. So if you start editing, you start taking out all the pauses and ums and ah, the video looks very weird. You're going to see a lot choppy. of jump cut. You're choppy, jump cut. It's like weird, too many, too many switcher cuts. So I will leave some of the filler words in the video version just to make it look you know, natural and organic. And in audio version, I would dive into the filler words because in audio, we can do a lot more cuts and no one really going to see it. But yeah, that's my stance. You can hide it more. Yeah, that that's my stance too, I think. Well, when it comes to editing, same stance, yeah. Video, a little bit more loosely, the conversation, where audio, I try to do like a tight cleanup. And as far as like, do you need it? Like you said, it's nice to have. It's good for like brand awareness, getting your face and like social media clips. But I don't know that that stuff's necessarily going to get you more podcast downloads. It's kind of like two separate consumers. Like, But it's good to have. And if you're not, like you said, if you don't have to kill yourself and it's a fairly easy workflow for you and your team, then then absolutely. But it's, it's funny. I've never sat there and watched like a full-on YouTube like podcast interview for like 30, 40 minutes. I don't know what the appeal of that is. I, I don't know too. Like I felt like a lot of time is also maybe it's easier for them to find it on YouTube because they're on the they're in front of the computer right, anyway, right? They can just play, mm -hmm. let it run in the background and then start doing other work. That could be the case. And then like you said, I only watch clips. I only watch clips. I watch clips on TikTok and Instagram on, you know, Bobby Lee and this and that. You know, it's funny clips, this and that. So, yeah, but I think having a video, it's good for brand awareness in terms of like, okay, this is your view count. The brand's going to be like, okay, we're going to, you know, sponsor you this, blah, blah, blah. Just put it this in front of the camera, you know, product placement. But at the same time, like you said, like, you never know how many of that is actual eyeball than just in the background playing. Right, right. And does James have uh, the YouTube's videos monetized as well? We do. But I have to say, I have to say the monetization on YouTube 
are a lot less than audio. Big time. Yeah. Well, Jay, appreciate you coming on the show, man. Let our listeners know where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram. It's jay underscore y-o-w-0-7 or x, also jay underscore y-o-w-0-7. If you have any questions, you know, you can always reach out to me there or follow me there so I can look better. Have more followers and look better. <laughs> awesome, Jay. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. 